The Game Schooler Podcast is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Planet, our recommended game of the week, examine game schooling outdoors, discuss real-time games in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Challenge. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How you doing, Michael? Doing great, Doug. How are you? Good. Are you all fresh after your vacation? Man, I am ready to get after some board game conversation. How about I, you? Oh, I'm exhausted, tired, and in need of rest. <laughs> but let's keep from? moving. <laughs> What's that from? <laughs> Nothing. All right. Now, I was just highlighting that you vacationed and I didn't. Yes, so. I did. I got to go to the beach, got to spend some time in the ocean down at Gulf Shores, Alabama. It was glorious, not to gloat, but I, I love to travel. Uh, most of my traveling in the ba- past has been uh, business related, but this was with my family. So just it's great to get out there and explore the world. Now, the important question, did you play any games while you were on vacation? I did. Did I have this conversation with you? No, I'm assuming uh, Sleeping Queens is going to show up here somewhere. No. <laughs> Azul. Azul. I played Azul one morning against my wife, and I had the win. I did the math, but I thought, I'm going to rub it in. I think mm-hmm. if we go one more round, I can get that my chip works. moved down a little <laughs> bit more, and I lost by 11. Okay. Not that it's all about the winning and losing, but um, she's very good at that game, and I got destroyed. How about you? So you're a very poor judge of time management. That, if that I'm would an be excellent a... <laughs> judge of time management. I was a very poor judge of how the bonuses would work out mm. in Azul. She had maximized Would you her like bonuses. to talk about your wife's time management? Let's keep <laughs> moving, Doug. <laughs> All right. Now, the, this past week, we played a little five-minute dungeon, um, but that's about it. Although I did want That's f- it? Yeah. In, in a week, you got five minute dungeon in? Yeah. Yeah. We've Isn't this a, a podcast about board gaming? Yeah. We got two games in? Uh, we must hey. have actual lives. Yeah, life happens, Michael. Sure does, man. Um I did want to follow up. There's a new report that I saw that got released that I think Apple was touting that they have over two million episodes, I believe. Was nice. of of podcasts on their podcast platform. But the interesting thing about it was that half of all the podcasts on Apple Podcasts have less than three episodes. Doug, so we I believe... Are, we are flying past that. At our 10th episode, I wanted to throw a party, and you threw so much shade and heat in my direction. Well, if you're, you're not like, going to... Oh. Well, if you're not going to come with the statistics, Michael, I don't from know what the point on, is. <laughs> from now on, I'm going to bring statistics, brother. Let's go. All right, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. We The recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection or at least to one of your friends' collection and freeload off them whenever you can. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Doug. And it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Planet by Blue Orange. Which that's... 
Tell us the stats on yeah. this, Doug. First of all, that's this really isn't the game to say that about borrowing from your friends because you also have this game. Well, correct. <laughs> okay. But if I have a friend out there or two yeah. who wants to borrow the game, you're welcome to come on over. They're welcome very to my collection. <laughs> small fee. Um, you can play my game or I'll send you to Doug. All right. Well, the planet was released in 2018. Added some new stats in here. I thought we should throw me in there, even though I'm going to butcher these What's names. What's the designer's name? Can't wait to hear you uh, with this statistic. Uh, er- Ertis Solinskas, I believe. Uh, the art is by... <laughs> Why'd you even try to pronounce that, man? You don't think Did that's right? Did you go on other podcasts? Solinskas? That, there's no way that's how you say that person's last name. <laughs> well, well, now you're just making an issue out of it. <laughs> Hold on. That's not even an umlaut. That's a special character on top of the S. Zulinskas. There you go. Zulinskas. Yep, it does the Zoolander thing to it. Good. Keep going, The art by Sabrina Muraman. Two to four players, 30 to 45 minutes, ages eight and up, and it is a 2019 Mensa Select winner. Mensa. When you're a part of an organization, Doug, you should be able to pronounce that. You've probably been in Mensa since you were about eight, right? That's where the genius is? (laughs) Yeah. I believe I tried to get in. They said, nope. No, capacity was full. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So they beat us to the punch by selecting this one. Yeah. Uh, According to the publisher, the spark of life is about to jump from your hands to spread out in the world. Deploy your mountain ranges and your deserts. Spread out your oceans and your glaciers. Handle wisely your continents to form environments suitable for the apparition of animal life, and maybe you'll manage to create the most densely populated planet. In Planet, each player receives a planet core without anything on it. It's awesome. Each turn, players choose a tile with mountain, ice, forest, desert on it and place it on the planet. Then the player who fulfills the most conditions for the appearance of certain animals gains its card. So as that says, you start with a... uh, Planet. Yeah, what's something with the uh, twelve sides on it? A dodecahedron. Uh, well, look at you! I believe so. <laughs> Minsa might be calling you after all. Uh, so you get this cube, dodecahedron, twelve sides on it, and you are adding magnetic tiles to it that have different land masses on it. Am I right? You researched that, no, Doug. That's, no, a I'm twelve-sided kinda... polygon is a dodeca. No, a dodecagon. A dodecagon no, in there. Oh, okay. You're close. All right, see, not that smart. So you're adding magnetic tiles to this dodecagon, decagon. Yeah, you got this 12-sided shape, right? And yeah. It looks almost like, it feels like a Rubik's Cube in your hand, but with many, many more sides. And then each time you throw a tile on there, it just does a little slap, like when a good magnet, you know, hits the fridge. Yep, and so you're connecting all your different land masses and water and stuff like that. And as the rounds go on, animal cards come out, and they say, well, if you have the most forest, this animal is going to come to your planet as opposed to one of your opponent's planets. So you are trying to collect animals, and then each person also has a secret objective where they're trying to, you might want to be the person that gets the most... You get more points for the most desert, as many desert tiles as you can get, which can get kind of tricky because you don't want to let your opponents know what you're trying to collect. Right. Um, Else they might try and deny you from getting more of those tiles. So that's the basic concept of the game. What do you like about it? Well, I I really like that you can play it with young 
you know, kiddos. We've we've talked about the multi generational approach before. Uh, it, it's not one that I, I've played with my parents, but it's one that I've played with my kids. Um, it's and they're seventy five too. No, they're close. <laughs> it, it's really easy to teach. I, I like that I can put this game on the table, set it up in under ten minutes, teach it in another ten minutes, and and play in that thirty minute time frame. Uh, it's fun. And the the art of the animals. If you have someone in your family that loves animals, and you know one of my kids is a big time animal lover, um, it, it's a great game to get to the table. Yeah, I've got. Uh, here's the things that I liked. I like that it's a unique concept. Mm-hmm. So when this is on the table, people notice it. Yeah, it's very that toy factor that yeah, you talked it's about. A, incredibly tactile. Which is is awesome. As you're playing the game, you're holding on to your planet, you're moving it around, you're adding tiles to it. That's all fun and engaging. That brings you in. You feel like you're doing exactly what when we talk about that description of the game, that's what it feels like. Yep. The other thing I really like about it, and you touched on it, is the animals. But what I like about it is that there's a wide variety of animals. Yeah. Because a lot of games would, I don't want to say like cheap out. But they put five animals and then just this keep is like repeating 45 them. Forty-five or forty-six when we broke it down, right? There were yeah. a ton of and animals, they're, and they all thematically make sense to what they're trying to be next to. Yep. You know, so if it's an, uh, you're not going to find a polar polar bear. You want to be next to all the ice, right? You know, and maybe next to forest, but not not desert. No. So if you have an ice cap that's next to a desert, you're not going to attract the polar bear. So thematically, a lot of that stuff makes sense. But I'm. Happy because I feel like a lot of designers or publishers would, A, not go that extra mile, mm-hmm. and like I said, repeat the same five animals over and over again with different, you know, they could have just said mammal. Right. Do you, you know? want to tell the listeners a little bit about how the bonuses work and some of those things and how you actually get cards, I guess, rather than saying bonuses? But that's one of the features that I like about the game that really lends to, to I think, the replayability factor that you can play this game over and over with with adults as a party game almost, and then uh, and then again with with kids. So you're talking about the animal bonus or the the secret bonus you get at the beginning? No, I'm nope. I'm talking about as the game goes on and um, when you're pulling the cards based on. Well, you you're know. drafting the tiles to add to your planet, and then those cards. Though the animals are on cards that are awarded based on the parameters of your planet. So there's three different types of rewards, which are one, if you have the most separate. So if like yep. I have the most desert climates in my planet, I might take yep. an I might animal. get that card. Yep. There's also the biggest landmass of, say, a desert that is not next to another landmass. So maybe I need the biggest desert on my planet not next to a mountain. Yep. And then the third one would be the reverse of that, which is I need the biggest mountain, but it can't be touching a desert piece. Yeah. And each tile that you have is a um, pentagon. There's a pentagon uh, tile that you're drafting, and that is further divided up into wedges. So the whole thing might be ice. It might be half ice, half... Have forest, that type of thing. That's so, perfect. I, so those are the things that you're balancing. I was asking you to describe it because I knew if I went down that rabbit hole, I'd get lost. And so that, I, I like how that all fits together, where the first, I believe it's two rounds, it might even be three, um, you're just selecting a tile. And then once you get into that you know, third and fourth round, and it might depend on player count, um, then the, the cards start to come out. 
And so I do like uh, how that works, and it's a, a unique mechanic to this game. Yeah, and as you draft the tiles, the ones that aren't picked show up later in the game. Yeah, they start making a face down pile for the later rounds, they which keep is coming back, which is kind of a neat neat thing too. Now I've got two little nitpicks. Is one of them there is a little bit of a scoring hurdle that I think when you're teaching the game, because there's two distinct concepts in this game. One is an area, and they call them areas and regions. Yeah. And so the area is a big mass, I believe. Contiguous, connected. And a region is just one of those pie slices. So you can have multiple pie slices, multiple regions make up an area, and, and I could be completely backwards on but this. But it's confusing. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, f- a little bit of a hurdle, but once you learn it and you're in the game, it's not an issue. Uh, and the only other one is that there has been some quality variations between my game, which is the first printing. Michael probably has a later printing, and yeah. I think the tiles are a little bit thinner in Michael's, but not... They, they've peeled a little bit. But and... not to the point that it's it would detriment... Keep us from recommending this game. Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, full disclosure, I did buy it off Amazon, you know, at a time where, I mean, I hope I have a legitimate copy, but I'm not holding that against Blue Orange because I've played your version. So there's two different things that could go on there that for our listeners to know. One, it could be the household. I mean, the toy factor is real. So Your family plays hard and works hard. uh, Yes. uh, I have a five-year-old. Um, where if a board game comes out to the table and she likes it, you better hope you're not the type of collector that wants the cards to be mint. My my kids play with white gloves. (laughs) Yes, not mine. We play the game. Um, Play to win the game. So that's one factor. It could be the household. The other piece that I've thought of, and maybe I'm looking too deeply into this, but it very well could be I have a counterfeit copy. Now, when I thought that one night and it woke me up in the middle of the night and I checked, um, the version that I do have, I believe, is is legitimate. I mean, it appears that other people's copies are printed that same way. So. Yeah, and that's a good topic for a school of gaming in the future is the world of counterfeit games, which we could explore uh, on a, that. Yeah. A, a deeper level. Well, let's, you know. But the- I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, one, disagree with your nitpick, but two, it's not a big deal. The game has stayed in my collection. Whereas if this bothered me and you know me well enough, I'd discard it. I'd get rid of that game. Yeah. If this were an issue and I walk because I walk by it two, three times a day, I walk by my game collection. And if, if I didn't like it, it wouldn't be on my shelf. Well, I love the game. I love playing the game with my children. Um, and and can, can I add one nitpick? Yeah. It's, it's a little fiddly. And, um, y- you know, there aren't many games that we've recommended where – um, my wife is like, meh. I mean, if we're recommending a game, and I, I would classify her, I don't know, game or non-gamer, I, I'd hate to put somebody in one of those buckets, but it's not one of her favorites. And I should have asked her about that um, t- again tonight before the show, but in some of our past conversations, there's that fiddliness because I have to place a tile, and I need to place it right now. I like that pressure. I like that, oh, I'm going to put the tile there, yeah. where you snap it on the cube. But I know for others, it can kind of be like, well... There's a lot of options. Yeah. There's a lot of and, options. And if, it if is you, a little fiddly getting if, the tiles onto the cubes. If you want to get 
if you want to focus on it, you could get into a situation where you had some analysis paralysis, especially oh, in those, I've done that. You've seen those, me do those that those early this turns. Game. I mean, you've got 12, 12 spaces on yep. there, one tile, brand new. You know, you're putting yeah. that second tile, and like you can put it anywhere. What difference does it make? Yeah, and I'm guilty of that. And yeah. looking and, and turning around that 12-sided shape, how many different times, wondering where am I going to put this, where am I going to put that? But I love the game. Well, and the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is that you know when we talk about that stringent criteria that quality part is is part of it that's in there you know and and i asked michael i said is that something that would prevent you from recommending that game as far as you know your your magnet tiles versus my magnet tiles and you said no i said absolutely not you know so that's that's something that had that come across we wouldn't be recommending it and it's a it's a we have our criteria and we also have a joint agreement on it. There's there's not something that I say, well, I think it's a great game and my copy is great and we're going with it. Right. That I, that I'm railroading it through. It's something that both of us are recommending as part of a of a game of the week. Well, and had I bought this full price in a in a friendly local game store, I may have a different feeling. I, I bought it half price on Amazon on Black Friday or whatever yeah. crazy Cyber Day they have out of the the not I almost said hot but out of the blue orange store. Um, I, I believe that that's when I got it. So all those things are factors. Yes. At the end of the day, it's got to be a great game to stay on our list. And I, yeah. I think this one will always be on our list. I, yeah. If we were to run the list 10 years from now, because of what we've said, uh, and, and we haven't even gotten into the educational value yeah. of it. Yeah, because you're dealing of with, what we've said, just from yeah. a gaming standpoint, it makes yeah. our list a family gaming standpoint. So. Yeah, you're dealing with animals and habitats, and it does a really good job of, of working with those. And the balancing of the ecosystems. Yeah. I can't have just straight mountains. If it's like, ooh, if I collect all the mountains. Well, you, well, you get the mountain goat, but that's yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. And I'll end the game with four points. Yeah. So on the surface, actually, on the surface, this one seems educational, but there's also other skills below the surface that we think you and your kids can learn from a game like this. So let's get into the skills. I'm going to just jump in here because I know this is on both of our lists without even seeing your list is spatial perception. Come on, man. <laughs> I've been waiting for 16, what are we in, seven, 16 episodes to have that in agreement. Yeah, you're right. It's actually top of my list. Go ahead. Yep, yep. First one I put on there, a game that strengthens a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment as well as themselves. No better way to do that than with a 3D object in your hands, tactile, putting the tiles on there and moving your planet around. Yep, and the other piece about that is when it's set, it's set. So I'm going to make a, a huge leap in logic and a possibly poor analogy here, but it, it's our podcast, so we'll, we'll go for it. It's almost like when you set furniture in a room. It's like, could go here, could go here, could go here, but when it's set, boom, it's in the room. And I like that about the tile, how you can We're, flip it, you can turn it, you can yeah. put it here or there, but once it's set, it's on your planet. Once that pan- piano is there, it's where, <laughs> once that pool table is in the room, nobody's yeah. moving it unless <laughs> nope. you're, that's getting burnt down with the house. There's that, no way you're taking it with you. That's a pool table? I thought it was just a Lego station. Yeah, well, okay. it fun- it's multifunctional. Interesting. All right, what's next on your list? I have comprehension as, oh gosh, Doug. Come on, man. What? You love comprehension. I don't I do get it. Love I don't comprehension. get it. A game that bolsters a student's ability to process text and understand its meaning. 
There's no text in this game. There is a ton of text in that game. How do you know which ecosystem the animal belongs in? Because there's a symbol on a card. Yes. Symbols are text, <laughs> Doug. Okay. You're, proceed. I will proceed because <laughs> there, it's coupled with two of my other skills, uh, being strategic thinking and risk management. I, I, I have comprehension, strategic thinking, and risk management all together. You have to figure out which cards are coming up and what cards you could possibly get. I see comprehension all across this game, especially even just in, in talking about who gets the card because cards are awarded based on the tiles that are in place. So I am constantly having to count the number of regions, the number of, um, not ecosystems, but the, what's what's the multiple regions thing together? The areas. The areas and, and report that out. It is a, a constant call and recall game. Um, so among social interaction, all those other skills that are there that might make your list, comprehension is in this game. Do you want to take back that smirk and head nod from two and a half minutes ago or no? no? I, you're letting it stand? I'm thoroughly convinced. Yeah, right. You should have seen how I got looked at. I wish we were on YouTube with this thing here, man. <laughs> what do you got? Well, I definitely have a piggyback on strategic thinking, a game that encourages students to develop a, a process or long-term strategy for accomplishing a goal. Yep. Those animal cards are placed out at the start of the game, so you see exactly what's coming down the pike while you're playing. Mm -hmm. So you know what's coming up, so you can try and strategize and say, all right, I might try and get these three, four, five animals that all need similar habitats and traits. And so you can somewhat plan that as you go. So there's 12 rounds in the game, right, folks? Yeah. And each round you're drafting a tile. So I'm going to pick a tile and slap that on my planet. And then you can see what animal cards are awarded. So it's draft a tile, be awarded the animal. And that's where that strategic thinking is in because it's, well, I'd like to get a mountain, except if I grab this ocean tile, I think I'll get the animal next round. And so well, and I that, think that level of game theory is in there. So that piggybacks to me with the anytime you have drafting, you this is going to be in there is the tactical thinking is yeah. that you have to pivot. Yeah, strategic and tactical. I have that. Yeah. I thought about putting uh, critical on there, but I thought that they're two separate things for, for one reason. One, you're drafting. And you can make that last-minute pivot based on an animal that's being awarded that round. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I might be able to get the largest desert area if I take that tile. At the same time— Get your armadillo, Doug. Yeah. We, get your armadillo. <laughs> we talked about those uh, secret goals. Yeah. That's a long-term strategy. Tell them about that because that, we talked about it, but we didn't explain that. Well, that's just saying you're trying to get as many regions or areas of a specific terrain type. So yeah. you might be trying to get the most regions— of or as many regions as possible of desert Mountain, or, ice desert yeah so you're trying to accumulate that which is a long-term strategy of why you might take one tile over another right. in addition to saying okay that that animal that's five rounds ahead that's going to be awarded out five rounds from now how can i work my way to that and does it work with my secret goal of collecting deserts well so and, there's that yeah, long-term yeah. planning in addition to the, oh my gosh, if I take this, 
ice one right now, I might win the polar bears right now. Right now. And that's where uh, on that example, let's say Doug is trying to prevent somebody else from getting ice because he thinks that they are collecting ice, that that's what their secret mission is. Um, that's where the risk management comes in. It's do I let you do this? Do I do this right now? And that weighing and, and evaluation aspect and prioritizing um, is why I have that skill mixed in with strategic thinking and comprehension. Because risk <laughs> management is a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. And that... So I see those three skills being in there. There's a whole lot of game theory built right into this too, where if I'm playing with my eight or nine-year-old kiddo, they may not be thinking at the level of, I want to prevent dad from doing this, but they they also might. And that's well, where it's an entry-level game that combines pretty sophisticated Well, and their theory, um, their theory changes where it's, a polar bear is my favorite animal and yeah. I'm going to do whatever I like. Yeah, there's, yeah, I've seen true. that too, where it's like, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to win the animal that I want, regardless of the points. And that's valid. Sure. Within itself of just, okay, now you're learning about the habitat that, that a polar bear needs. Yeah. Um, my next one on the list I have is competition. And the reason I put this on the list was. It's a good one. That constant after after the, in the rounds that animals are are scored or awarded to the different players, after you pick the tiles, everybody puts places their tiles. You award those, and so there's that competition that's happening every round, right? As those animals are being given out to the planets that earned them, so there's that. You're constantly aware that you're competing with other people's planets to attract those animals to your planet, and I think it's a nice. It's a different type of competition, it's too. It's a nice competitive yeah. thing because it doesn't seem cutthroat, but it's you're being reminded yeah. that you're yeah. winning or losing. A little bit of a tug-of-war built that, in that, that entire time. So Within the round, yeah. And that's, that's a game that develops co- healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal that cannot be shared. Love it. My fifth and final skill is one that you've never agreed with, which I uh, I can't say I've been saving up till now. You're thinking hard because you're like, I, I have agreed with competition before. It starts with a C and ends with creativity. Creativity, folks. A game in which students produce original ideas that may be useful in solving problems, communicating, and entertaining. You build a planet. And um, that... It might be a little bit of a stretch. But I feel like honestly, you're convincing. I'm convinced, and I yeah. feel like you're struggling to come up with the... No, you're, oh, It's no. almost like you're nervous about it. No, no nerves here. Cool as a cucumber. I don't get rattled when we're talking about definitions here, man. <laughs> um, but it is cool at the end of the game where you flip around your planet and you look at the different tiles and how things fit together, and once in a while it's, whoa, I didn't realize I had that many regions of water. Look at the different oceans that I've got here. Um, so it, it's a cool little piece of the game, especially in a 30- to 45-minute game. It's not like yeah. it was a four-hour build and I own it. Yeah. And at the end, you got to take your planet apart. Well, and I think that leads into my last one, which is confidence, because at the end of the game – you do have that thing that you've created, and it's tactile. You can hold it in your hand. You can spin it around. You can see what it is, and there's 
something about even if even if I've only collected three animals, kids are really excited about that. Yeah. And they're excited about the animals that they got and the, the planet that they created. And that that sense of accomplishment is is kind of what I put under confidence of just yeah. I feel really good about the play that I did. And you can lose this game, but kids are still happy with the planet that they made and the animals that they earned and that type of thing. So I think it is a really good confidence builder because no matter how you play, at the end of the game, everybody's going to have a completed planet. Yeah. It's not like one of those games where you play and it's like, well, you've mismanaged your time and resources, so those two spots are blank. No, right. everybody has right. a full planet at the end, so everybody's going to feel good about having a complete planet. I like that aspect of the game. We talked about Dream Home a few weeks back when and you could have an empty room and there are no empty empty yeah. dials. I that's that's a good call. This is really one of the first games where we have had agreement on, on the skills and I think that also says something too that when you play the game and we're just talking about educational value and skills um they're pretty apparent and obvious. Yeah, so that is Planet by Blue Orange. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about real-time games and game schooling outdoors. All right, is that me? That's you. <laughs> All right, so what is a real-time game? What is a real-time game? <laughs> it is a game in which players must take turns in a set amount of time, usually as quickly as possible, and players either lose or are penalized for not completing the required tasks in the provided time. Uh, this is usually controlled by sand timers, games with sand timers, or more recently, games come out with apps on your apps, phone yeah. that'll keep track of of the time for you. Some example of this is escape room games, where you're trying to get out of a room or solve a, a, a problem in a set amount of time. That five minute series that I talk about, where you're trying to, you know, get through all the monsters in the dungeon, si solve the mystery within five minutes. You've got five minutes to play the game. There's a game called Magic Maze where you're trying mm, to get yep. all your people out of the the mall without communicating That's with each a fun other. One. There's Escape Curse of the Temple is another one, and you're rolling dice to try and get treasure and get out of the temple as fast as you can. Fuse, you're defusing a bomb. Chronicles of Crime series is that a Technically, although the timer is not really okay, public knowledge. So the timer is a central theme, central, a central component of Kitchen a real Rush time or, or Walkstar. We talked about that a little while ago. You've got to complete the orders in a set amount of time is, is what it comes down to. And there's pros and cons to this style of game. So one of the pros is that it helps kids learn. And there's a difference, too, here, because some people put speed games into this category, but I don't really put them in there. So a game like Spot It, where you're having to be the first person to to point something out. I still have bruises on my hand from playing, playing Spot It two weeks ago. I don't consider that a real-time game, although no. some people do. 
So I'm thinking more of a, a sand timer. I've got 30 seconds. I need to do this, 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 and this, or solve this little problem in that set amount of time. Okay. So pros of that is it's helping kids to learn and think and operate faster. Um, no, there's no doubt about it. You're yeah. you're improving the the speed at which people operate and and make decisions. There's a caveat. If you're using it in the classroom, though, you need to make sure that you're balancing out your kids. Yeah, and I I, I have an issue here. You know, uh, when it comes to my own children, I'm irrational. They're all gifted and wonderful. Just ask me. They're my child. They're my children, right? But one of my kiddos is a processor, is very, very methodical. I'm not going to say slow because they do great work. And that's where with the real time, and you're kind of smirking at me here. Um, yeah. And I, I would be hesitant to do a real-time game in the so, classroom. But that being said, now, one of their favorite games of all time is perfection with the now, timer going. So okay, I'm kind of so talking now, myself out of that one. Go is, ahead. Is this, is this a child that frequents my house regularly? Frequently. Okay. I have played a game with oh, this, this child. this will be interesting. Tell me about it. Did you play the five-minute dungeon or one of those? Or No. We played a game called Braintopia. Oh, sure, sure, okay. sure, sure. Now, this falls into that earlier category where it's like, it's not really a real-time game, but it will directly goes against what you just said about oh, your own good. child. Good, Because there were, in this game, similar to Spot, that you flip over a card mm-hmm. and you have to solve the puzzle fast, mm-hmm. the first person does it. There were some shape ones that she was shouting before <laughs> I even flipped over the card, and me and my daughter were like, but see, that, that's my that rationality as a parent, because at the end of the day, as a dad, what's one of my biggest fears? My children being hurt, right? And, um, you know, it is one of the great things about the modern tabletop board games. It puts people in situations in which their skills are stretched. And, and so that, that's, that's where, interesting. So that's where I think that these games can help kids eventually if you've only got five minutes to do something and you lose the first time you need to figure out better ways to make decisions faster or solve the problem in a more efficient way and so the kids are learning that um my only caveat to like i said is that i think classroom balancing if you're playing with multiple kids is is important okay and that you want to have kids with similar skill levels because if you have a kid that's way ahead of the other ones he's going to railroad everybody else. Yeah. Which makes this a great thing for cooperative games. It's also great in that way when there's multiple tasks to be solved and you can divvy those up. Cool. So if you're playing with multiple kids, you don't have time to alpha game or you don't have that kid that's really great at this game to oversee what everyone else is doing because he doesn't have the time to, and each kid can kind of work in their area. So there are a lot of benefits to real-time games. However, there is a con, which is they can be stressful, uh, yeah. and they can be frustrating. So me... Why'd you do that, Doug? We were so close to winning. Me, personally, I have a very... There are some real-time games that work for me, and mm. some that I would rather not play ever again. So Be- how do people figure that out, especially if they are if they have a gaming budget of four to five games per year? How, how do you go about that? I don't know that you can unless you're, you're playing air, a bunch huh? of them. You, okay. know, you play with a, a friend where there's somewhere it's, I don't mind 
the pressure. There's other ones where I'm like, ah. And, and part of it, too, is, and I don't know if this is on a kid thing or more of an adult thing, which is, eh, I spend a whole day working. I'm kind of looking to relax. I don't yeah. need more pressure, you know, especially if you're in a, a job where you're you're putting out fires all day. Yeah. The idea of putting out fires in a game under a time crunch, you know, that's the thing with pandemic. It's like, yes, you're putting out fires, but there's nobody saying like, now, 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 right. now, we got you to do it now, now. You have four actions that you, you know, get to decide so, and others can help you with. So it's not the idea that putting out fires in a game is stressful or bad. It's doing it under pressure. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for me and I don't enjoy it. And there's other times where I really like it. And and I can say, oh, you know, Walkstar is, is a game like that, but I, I like it. And I don't know if that's a, a theme thing. Yet the game uh, Fuse that I mentioned earlier about defusing a bomb seems yeah. stressful to me. And I don't, I don't care for that one. So, I, and I don't know if that's just a theme thing or not. So where do you fall on real-time games? Do you like them, or have you not played enough to have a strong opinion? Well, or? Let, let me put on my bureaucratic hat and go, go to my day job and give you a, a classic two-word answer. It depends. <laughs> um, there, there, some of the games that you've mentioned are either on my want-to-play list or have played and really enjoy but when they're initially brought up of real-time games, yeah, there's so many other types of games I'd rather play. Um, that being said, in the next segment when I talk about game schooling outdoors, um, real-time games, I, I love having a clock. I love racing against a clock and being able to stop that clock and knowing what, what's coming. And um, So I do enjoy some of the games that include an app. I know we're we're unplugged and we're in that zone, but uh, some of the sand sand timer or you have to do four things before you can actually do this, and you got to do it in five minutes. Not so much, but if we're all working together, if I can just here's to bottom line it. If if I can just shout out ideas and the group can say good or good idea, bad idea, but we're moving on. I like it better than if the responsibility is on me to complete the challenge. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing where like the unlock games are a a timed game to some extent. My family loves them. And I love those games. The exit series. The five minute games. I could play those with my kids all day long. I don't get stressed out. It's fun. It's throwaway. So I don't know. I, I think you're a hundred percent. There's people have very strong opinions on on real time games. There's either that love it or hate it type of feeling, and I think you're under hundred percent right that it depends. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where I fall in that bucket. All right. So tell me about uh, game schooling in the great outdoors. All right, game schooling in the outdoors, folks. This is not really game based learning unplugged directly related um but some of the segments that we've had aren't always related to game space learning i mean professional development and planning time those things but having just been to the ocean uh having my my kids hit the ocean for the first time and experience that it caused me to jump into some of the research that's out there and and doug and i have, have another project going where we've we we've really been doing a deep dive into screen time and looking at how that's related. And 
I'll tell you what, if you want to develop gamers and even something as simple as having a family game night, if that's something that is important to you long-term, and by long-term, I'm defining by anything more than one school year. So if you are looking at institutionalizing and systematizing a family game night in your house and saying, this year it's going to be Tuesdays, next year it's going to be Wednesdays because of dance class or basketball or, or enter any activity here, you're going to need to have gamers. Your kids are going to need to have a, a patience level and a tolerance level that allows them to sit at the table and play. One of the best ways that you can do that, it's not just to sit down and, and force your kids to play games. The beatings will continue until morale improves. You will love to play games or you will play more games. No, get your kids outside. Stumble across a study. Uh, Hinkley, Brown, Carson, and oh, I, Megan, I hope I'm getting your name right. Tashin, Tashin. Um, the title is Cross-Sectional Associations of Screen Time and Outdoor Play with Social Skills in Preschool Children. So this study looked at kiddos ages two to five and looked at developmentally um, what is the impact of screen time and really did a deep dive and interviewed 575 different mothers and looked at their kiddos' behaviors. And the findings were were pretty pretty startling. Let me just read you one piece from the abstract. Findings indicate that television, DVD, video viewing may be adversely and outdoor play favorably associated with preschools, children's social skills. Social skills. So a lot of the skills that we talk about here that, that you know, the modern tabletop board games really help to develop and grow, well, the foundational place for those is in that two to five age range. And um, one where, where I'm concerned about this, and I think my wife would say overly concerned about this, my five-year-old is being raised in front of a screen often because I'm in a work-from-home situation currently. And so this is something that I really struggle with internally of how much screen time is too much screen time. And no, when I'm on lunch right now, we and I've joked about it, we are sitting down and playing Sleeping Queens. Get away from the TV. But in the spring and summer months, one of the best things you can do for your kiddos is to get outside. And there is so much research on outdoor play. But the big thing, uh, you know, we talk all the time about bringing families together and unplug, unplug, unplug. Just get your kids outside. So with Planet being the theme and with, you know, Earth Day right around whenever this is being released, it was just something that I wanted to, to add in kind of to, to our library in the School of Gaming that it's not always just about playing board games. If you want your kids to develop some of those social skills, the research is clear on outdoor play. Uh, and this article, I thought, stated it the most succinctly, especially when they, they were doing, you know, quantitative research. They, 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 they were looking at... Um, you know, statistics that, that were derived um, in, in a quantitative study. So that that's that, and that's what I've got for game schooling outdoors. Did, did I miss a mark, or what were you thinking on that one, Doug? No, I think that's good, and I think, I mean, there's nothing, nothing stopping you from taking some of these games into a screened-in porch or taking them outside and, and playing a, uh, a card game at the park. 
Yeah. You know, if you want to tie it back around to gaming, um, that's certainly something else that you can do. And, 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 and a hundred percent that we're not, we're not advocating that you sit inside all day and play games. Right. You know, there, so there, there's, there's a lot to life. And the, the last thing that I'll say is, um, man, you just have magical moments outside in, in nature, you know, and anyone who knows me, I, I like a hotel. I like my own bed. I, I, we've talked about that before. I'm not, not a guy who's going to camp in a tent. But there is something about being outside and playing outside. And so the, the last thing while you're on your drive or your walk or however you're listening to us, just think back when you were a kid and think back to ages you know, 2 to 10 and what outdoor activity did you love to play? And regardless, the, the, it's timeless. I mean, that, that activity is timeless. Um, now, I know kids aren't playing kick the can or ghost in the graveyard in my neighborhood anymore, but they are still playing. There's some outdoor activity that brings a, a level of joy um, that, that, that's very healthy for people who are in those developmental years, especially, you know, two to five. All right. Well, that is the School of Gaming. Let's move on to the High Five Challenge. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. Each week for the High Five Challenge, I'll share a top five list of family-friendly games, and Michael has chosen the topic. So what is this week's topic? Space games. Space, 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 space games. All right, this was probably the hardest list I had to do. And there was a lot of cutting room floor uh, material for this one. So let's get into I picked three honorable mentions, and they did not make the list for very specific reasons. Number one, Space Park, which is on the list because I am in love with the art. This is a game by Keymaster Games. You know them from Parks. Parks. And they have another game called Caper and another game called uh, Campy Creatures. The artwork in all of their games is amazing. Very distinct style. The Space Park one has a very retro 1950s space atmosphere. Very accessible gameplay. Great game, but didn't make the list. Terraforming Mars Mm. did not make the list because it is a heavy game lots of angry people out there if that's not in the top three of a list well and it doesn't it doesn't fall under that family friendly this is not a game that i can can recommend no but it's a very popular game great send all hate mail to doug folks not michael (laughs) great game a little bit too complex for that family audience but if you got high school kids High school kids interested in Mars. Even middle school, or, or, even late middle school. If you've got an experienced gamer, I know you're cringing over yeah. there, but I mean, I can think of some it's, of my nieces and nephews yeah, that would love a, that game. It's a heavy game. Uh, and the last one is Quantum, which this one didn't make the list because of availability. It's out of print, and I don't know when it's Thanks coming. Thanks getting back. everybody's hopes up, Doug. Well, hey, that's why it didn't make the list. It's an honorable mention. And also, that's not part of the requirement for the High Five Challenge that it be available. But Quantum is a uh, <laughs> Quantum is a game in which your spaceships are 
you're trying to colonize planets and your spaceships are dice, but the type of ship it is is determined by the number that's on the dice. Oh, cool. So uh, number one is a battle cruiser, which moves very slowly, but is very powerful in battle. And number six moves very quickly, but can be obliterated very fast. So it moves around the, the board faster. Really cool game. If for some reason you get a chance to check it out, I, it's one I would recommend. Now, on to the proper list. Number five, and this one is on the, this is probably one of my favorite games on the list, but it's in the number five spot because of the, the complexity that it's a little bit higher, certainly nowhere near terraforming Mars, but that is the Artemis Project. Oh, yeah. So this is a game where you are rolling dice and then putting those dice in that worker placement mechanic around the board. And the way that they resolve is very interesting. You can go with lower numbers and those resolve faster, but they're not as powerful Yep. compared to higher numbers that activate l- later, but are more powerful. And it's possible that you could put, so one of them is, is how you are getting resources, gathering resources. I can put a one down, which pretty much guarantees that I'll get one of those resources. If I put a six down, I'm going to get six of those resources, but I'm going at the end of the list, and there's a set number of resources. So, right, so if Doug puts a six down and I put the five down, I get the five. Before I would yeah. take six, and so there might not be any left by the time he gets there. And this is a, a whole game of kind of building up your own little uh, space station, uh, getting workers and putting them in different buildings and that type of thing. It's, it's a little bit more complex. I think it's probably about a 2.5 range, but not to... 2.84. 2.84, okay. So, like I said, probably my favorite game on the list, but higher because of the, the family level. Well, in time. That's a that's a weekend or we can play a late night game. Um, fantastic game. So, the next one on the list is Eminent Domain. So, this is a... Can you spell that for me? I might have a <laughs> tough time looking that up on Board Game E-M-I-N-E-N-T. E-M. You need me to spell domain for you? Nope, I got that one. Okay, so Eminent Domain... You start out with a uh, deck of cards or a hand of cards, and then you are taking like one of five or six actions. And if I take an action, Michael has the opportunity, if he has that card in his hand, to follow my action. Now, because I'm the leader, I'm gonna, my action is going to be more powerful than his, but he can play a card from his hand to do that. Then every time you take that action, so I don't, I can't think of what one of the actions is off the top of my head, but say the actions recruit. All right, what are you doing in the game, though, man? Can you, you bottom line? Because this game's new to me. Yes, you are acquiring planets. Okay, cool. You know, you're col- colonizing now planets. Now I get the title. Yep, and so you're colonizing planets, and then as you do, those planets are giving you a little bit of benefits. And so if I want to recruit scientists, I can do that every time I take that action. I add another recruit card to my deck. So it's a little bit of a deck builder because then later on, if I recruit again and I have more than one recruit card in my hand, yep. I can add those cards oh, cool. to my action to make it even more powerful. So it's a, a leader follower game with deck building behind it. So it's a, a pretty neat one. It was one of the first kind of deck builders that came out after Dominion, uh, but it's not a traditional deck building game. Great. So there's no no currencies, things like that. I bet I can guess a game that's going to be in your top three. I'm going to write it down right now. Go okay. ahead. All right. Number three, you're not going to guess, 
which is Tiny Epic Galaxies. Oh, I didn't get So that. the Tiny Epic series is a series of games that are in small boxes, small footprint, big game. Now, yeah. a lot of times I'm frustrated with Tiny Epic games because... There's so much in that little box. Yeah, then, yeah. and I feel like it could be a, a more immersive experience if they actually just made it big instead of focusing on the, the gimmick. However... Tiny, Tiny Epic Galaxies is, is really good. It has a little bit of that leader followship type of thing and rolling dice to do actions, and you are trying to, um, I don't know what the exact... Yeah, talk about it, the leader followship because you brought it up in the last two games. What do you mean by that, Doug? Is Whoever's taking the main turn, they are picking an action that they're going to do. Yeah. And then other people can choose to jump on and take that same action but usually it's not as powerful as as the person that's actually chosen that action. And so Tiny Epic Galaxy is a good good compact game with a space theme. You yeah. know, you're yeah. you're you're building up. All right, number 2. Junk Orbit. Was that one on your list? No, no. but I I own it. And I love it. It's a great game. Tell uh, them about it. So, Junk Orbit, you are Orbiting around the moon, Earth, and Mars, I believe. And you are collecting junk from different areas of the board to then drop off at other areas. Or cargo. Yeah, cargo, that too. Well, it's called junk orbit, Michael. Yeah. It all makes sense. You pick one man's junk is another man's treasure. I think that says that on the side of the the box. It comes in a... uh, Cylinder. cylinder. <laughs> so not a cylinder box. In this one, it's interesting because you expel trash out of your ship in one direction based on the value on the ship. And you that propels you forward the same amount of space in the opposite direction. So if I throw it back three spaces, I then need to move forward three spaces. My ship is moving yep. forward three spaces. Yep. Or if I throw my trash out three spaces forward, I'm moving backwards three spaces. And so you're trying to, and then the, the the location that you land on, you pick up all the garbage there. And the garbage that you shot out from your ship, you're hoping is landing on the place that it wants to be delivered to. Um, so it's just a really neat, to me, the, the math in this game is, you know, you talk about games that can teach math in, in fun and innovative ways. This is a game that does that as as the players are working around the different planets and the way that the the helixes work to spiral around the planets in the orbit and you kind of can branch off from spiraling around Earth and then going around the moon and as you zigzag back and forth, it's it's pretty neat to see how that one comes together. I know your number one game. Oh, I bet you don't. Shoot, man. How did it not make your list? Well, it, before it we go it into is. that, it all right. Um, Junk Orbit is is a fantastic game. All right. Uh, Number one, Michael? John Declares, 2018, Space Base. Yeah, Space, space Base. Base. Yeah, so Space Base is kind of like a, awesome. a souped-up Machi Kuro where you're rolling dice. You have 12 ships in front of you. And those ships give you interesting take on it. Uh, those ships give you different bonuses, and as you acquire new ships, you retire your old ships, 
which then become active on other players' turns. Yeah. And I love the market feature of that, just how you're acquiring, yeah. building. So you, so you start out with ships that only activate on your turn, but as you acquire new ones, the old ones become active on other players' turns. So you are invested. And, and kind of the neat thing about this game is you're always rolling two dice on every turn, but you can choose whether you want to add them together or use them as two separate dice. So, for example, if I've got a, a four and a two makes a six, I could activate my number two ship and my number four ship, or I could combine them and activate my number six ship, which there's some ships on, like, number 12 that if you buy them, you can yeah. instantly win the game. And it, it's interesting. So you're always engaged throughout the entire game of what everybody else is doing and uh, solid game. Yeah, that that list will not disappoint. Gamers, family gamers, you, you get any of the games on that list. I'm not familiar with Eminent Domain, so I'll say that on the front end, but I'm going to do a, a five-to-one recap. Coming in at number five is the Artemis Project uh, 2019 from Daryl Chow and Daniel Rochi. Uh, number four is Eminent Domain 2011. Seth, is it Jaffe or Yaffe? J-A-F-F-E-E. All right, Seth, sorry, but I spelled it for you, and that's from TMG. And then number three, Tiny Epic Galaxies, Scott Alms, Gameland Games 2015. Lots of tiny epic games out there, whatever theme you like. You like dinosaurs, you like pirates, go get yourself a tiny epic game. Number two, Junk Orbit 2018, Daniel Solis and Renegade Game Studios. And number one, also from 2018, John D. Clare's Space Base, Alderock Entertainment Group, AEG. That's a great list, Doug. There are a ton of really good space games out there, aren't there? Yeah, and there's a lot There's a lot of heavy space games that, right. are, that can be pretty complicated. There's something Junk like... Junk Orbit isn't? 1.56? Yeah. 1. yeah t- there's games like Twilight Imperium you might hear about, and it's like... An eight-hour game that yeah, people I don't raise think I'm about capable the, of playing the experience. That. And one of the good ones I left off the list, Mission Red Planet, is a really good game. I think there's I don't have the the rest of my list with me, but there was three or four good games that I felt that I had to just cut off. You got to make a decision. Well, that's like why I it's said, a high five. Yeah. All right. So that is the high five challenge. Great list, Doug. Thank you. I want to encourage you to like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Game Schooler U. All right. So <laughs> on behalf of Michael and myself. What are you laughing at? Nothing. Thank that, you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Game Schooler! I'm working on my outros, lady. Outros, ladies and gentlemen. I'd love some feedback on that one. No? You want to redo? Nope. All it's right. in. <laughs>